Welcome back to Ever Ancient, Ever New, the podcast in which we search for the hidden gems of, of truth and beauty in our uh, ancient faith. Uh, I'm Father Kyle Kowalsik. I'm the pastor of St. Maximilian Kolbe, and I'm here actually joined to, today by uh, a friend and parishioner, um, Matt Harold. Matt, you want to say hi? Hi, everyone. Hi, Father. <laughs> so um, Matt's been listening to the podcast for a while, and then after uh, the last podcast I did, he actually emailed me, so you can email me too, and when you email me your, your questions, then uh, then I make you be on the podcast with me. That's how it goes. You might not want to say that because people probably won't email you. <laughs> well, he actually he actually said, "Hey, I'd actually be happy to be on the email or on the on the podcast with you." So um, so I said, "Oh, that, that'll be fun." So uh, so here we are, and um, yeah. So Matt, first of all, give give the listeners a little bit of your story because uh, I had the privilege of uh, confirming you and bringing you to the Catholic Church just. Not too many months ago. I think it's been about nine months yeah. since I've been Catholic. So, so yeah, I uh, I grew up Protestant. So um, then I had the good fortune to marry my beautiful wife, who just happened to be Catholic. And I, when we got married, you know, we we talked about that a lot. And I think I had the mindset that we'd be, you know, a great um, multi-denominational couple and family. And but I was, you know, made the point to always, you know, be present and come to Mass every week with, with her and then eventually with our, our children. And I think through that and through the years, the Lord just kind of worked in my heart. And I think when I was talking to you about this, Father, I likened myself to the, was it the Ethiopian eunuch who, mm. who was talking to, I think, was it Philip, the, right, uh, the yeah. apostle, and just was like, hey, I, I understand all this, or I've read all this, but I... I don't really understand it. And, you know, he kind of opened his eyes and I felt like that too, where I, you know, I felt like pretty solid in my faith. And then, you know, every, every once in a while, either through a homily or something at mass, there'd be another little nugget that was like, oh, that was not the way I'm used to thinking about mm, this. And mm. it was just a fairly slow conversion over the years. And um, eventually got to the point where I was like, you know, maybe the maybe the, the Catholic Church really does know what they're talking about. <laughs> and um, certainly then I, you know, made made the leap of faith to, to come and join join the church fully here and got confirmed this last January. Yeah, beautiful. I like to think it's that beer that we had together at, after brunch. That, that did it. And actually, you know, from that and astute podcast listeners might have, might have remembered father did uh reference me though not by name uh, <laughs> yeah. a few months ago in a podcast of after a conversation we had so yeah yeah it was good yeah because we were talking you had some questions on mary and yep. i said i'll do a podcast on that yeah, yep. so um that's where that's where your questions go folks homilies or podcasts um great great um yeah, awesome. So you had you had some questions, and uh, I thought I thought your questions are are great, and probably questions that lots of people have asked. And um, yeah, let's let's dive into them. So yeah, let's yeah. What do you got? So yeah, you mentioned at the end of last podcast you wanted to talk about Latin a bit. So yeah. you know, and growing again, growing up Protestant, you know, Latin. There's there's no Latin anything, right? It's it's all in the vernacular. So so Latin is pretty foreign to me, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, my, my first question, and it's really a very basic one, is why why bother to do Latin anymore? You know, especially Vat- post-Vatican II, they said, yeah, you don't have to do it anymore, right? So why why do it at all these yeah. days? No, that's that's great. So um, one, like just what, what you said, Protestants don't do Latin. That was actually one of the reasons why the Catholics were always like, 
we have to we have to do Latin because it's it's the way that you knew you know think think post Reformation you know like everything's going crazy and one of the things that was happening was uh, vernacular you know England starts doing mass in English Germany starts doing mass in Germany and that might have been the only th- only noticeable thing that changed was the language the only noticeable thing because. I mean, uh, Martin Luther, for instance, like throughout most of the sacramental system, you know, so you would go to, you could go to mass and it would look like mass, sound like mass, but you might not have a validly ordained priest anymore. You might not have um, the, the, the same understanding of the Eucharistic sacrifice. And so you, if it weren't for the fact that it wasn't in Latin, you might not know that you're not at an actual valid Mass, you know, so Latin, uh, especially post post Reformation, became kind of the litmus test of okay, I'm in the right place. You know, we we do Latin, and I'm connected with every other um, every other church that's connected with the Pope and Rome, where Latin is our our language. It was a unifying thing, and, and maybe maybe um, you know it, it got to the point where it was a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, you overemphasize something, you know, because like, well, even if we had thought maybe the possibility of opening up the door to the vernacular, now we can't because uh, that's what the Protestants do. And for a long time you had like Protestants do that, so we do that. And the Protestants do that. Well, the Catholics do that, so we can't do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but uh, what was your original question? <laughs> <laughs> why, why do it today? You know, why, well, why, why in 2023 or, you know, what, 50 years past Vatican II, why, why do Latin? Yeah, I think, I think that's still part of it. It still connects us to, uh, to the tradition that this isn't uh, a religion that we, a denomination, uh, a, a liturgy that we invented last week. It's something that, that predates all of us, that we, we didn't come up with on our own. Uh, I think that's actually really important. Um, I mean, we love we love history. We love going to museums or going to uh, ancient artifacts and sites. And in the church, we one of the things we tend to do is just preserve um, preserve things and say, you know what? There's something good here. Something beautiful here. Let's let's hang on to that. Um, you know the the uh, the. Uh, uh, the reason to keep doing something. So, so Vatican II, and I think I've made this point, and um, uh, so Vatican II did say, hey, let's open the door to the vernacular, which actually had been something that was, had been proposed many times in history, um, and even recently at the, the time of the council. Um, I think it's actually important to, maybe we go back, because I know you had the other, the other question you had was about Greek, Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we, let's actually go all the way back there before we before. And then maybe we'll get to here, sure. hopefully by the end of the podcast. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so what was, yep. what was the original the original yeah. question? Yeah. So then the next the next question before we come back to modern day and you mentioned history and I, I love history, too. And um, yeah, by the way, so when when you were when you were on your way in, you started like, I think I'm going to become Catholic. What can I yeah, I think you asked, did you ask for me for a history book or something? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it actually, you mentioned, you might have mentioned it in the podcast that you had this oh, like, yeah, history of the yeah. Catholic Church book. And I was like, oh, that's probably right up my alley. So yeah. I, yep, that was, I read that as part of my preparation for confirmation. And it was a, it was a good book. It was, it's a, it's a thick book. It's it by is. a guy named Hitchcock. It's published by Ignatius Press. And, um, 
and after you, you brought, brought it back to me and you hand it back to me, I go, you still want to be Catholic after all that? <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot in there. He doesn't pull any punches right. out of the history. Yeah. So. He, he, does not, he does not hide any of the, the, uh, the, the rougher edges of Catholicism. And, and we shouldn't, you know? I mean, like, those are real historical things, and eventually you're going to find them out, and you're either going to be scandaled by lies by them or just like, oh, yeah, that's, yep. we're human beings. Yep. Church is full of human beings. And it, and the the other side of that is that it, it can actually give you a bit of hope too because, um, as bad as things might look today, you can look back in history and say, oh, it was probably worse at some point down the line, or, um, and you know the church has survived two thousand years right. despite many many trials. So yeah, I just saw a podcast pop into my queue um, from a from a guy that I listened to named Ralph Martin. It's a professor back in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, and um, and I think the title was "Is this the worst crisis the church has ever seen?" <laughs> and I'm I haven't listened to it yet, so I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we're in it. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But eventually, well, some crisis is going to be the the worst crisis. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, great. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. So just again, looking at history, and it's you know very early history, obviously, but. You know the new the New Testament was written in Greek. Um, you know most of the early church fathers wrote in Greek or earliest church fathers, mm-hmm. fathers I should say. And you know at some point I think it was about the time of Augustine and Jerome and those guys. The church made a move to switch from Greek to Latin. And you know my understanding of that change was that it's because most of the West had kind of stopped learning greek you know it was it wasn't really a a language that most people knew so they were switching to latin because it was a language that was more familiar to the everyday person so you know just again thinking about latin today it seems like that's something you know the same argument we're making today you know people most people don't know latin anymore you know so shouldn't we switch to a language that most people understand yeah that's that's great i love it so i think i think first first thing is the original language of the la- of the lang- of, of the church and the liturgy was not Greek. It's probably Aramaic or you know whatever language that the early Jews were speaking. Right. Sure. And then as the apostles go out wherever they landed, and there was um, a written alphabet and um, an intellectually sound language. That's where that that a liturgy grew up around that language. So the apostles who went to the east end up, you know, like you have the Byzantine church, and that was that's always been in Greek. Mm-hmm. You know, the apostles who went um, to to India, India had its own Mozam whatever I forget the <laughs> the right, but there's a there's an Indian rite that like it was in a language that they they had there. Um, and so there were so when we talk about the different rites of the Catholic Church, I talked about a couple of weeks ago the the Ukrainian rite that I mm-hmm. went to, and uh, you know and so you'd have if you if they found a language that was, um, it, it, they're, they're not going to go like hey this is a tribal language that fifty people speak you know we're not going to do we're not going to do our liturgy in that language but if we found one that was expansive, um, and you could write down because you can't. At some point, you can't have impromptu liturgy anymore. You have to have, um, you have to have the ability to have a book that has the prayers in it. You know, so 
but the apostles that go to the West and end up in Rome, um, yeah, so Greek is going to be is going to be the language uh, for a while. But even there, it's a misnomer to say everybody spoke Greek. Everybody didn't speak Greek. That would have been the the language of commerce, language of trade, the language of academia. That's the written language. But just like the the Jews, you know, well, Hebrew would have been their official prayer language. But a lot of the Jews, you know, would have spoke Aramaic around around the house. If they were going to go down to, you know, go down closer to the Middle East, um, you would have probably found Arabic. Um, you know, there's all sorts of different tribal languages, and just like just like we find today uh, in in certain places. Um, uh, you know, go, I mean, go to Europe, for instance. I mean, the language of trade and commerce is English, but not everybody speaks English, you know. So to say that everybody spoke Greek, that's why the liturgy was in Greek, not quite accurate. Probably a great number of people did. Probably lots of people who, um, uh, you know, didn't, you know, like maybe they can't read and write in Greek, but they could understand some of it. Or just like if you go to, if you go to the Holy Land today, every street, vendor and shop owner knows enough English to, to <laughs> convince a, an American tourist to buy something that he doesn't need. Um, so th- that's kind of probably more like what it was, you know? Sure. Um, so I think that helps, helps us too. Like, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't like, Hey, what, what do the people speak? Let's, let's do it in that language. So then once, once the language of, of commerce, trade, academia is switching to, to Latin and say, okay, let's let's that's that's another so greek didn't die away but latin became more um more full uh uh and primary primary language that they would uh do the liturgy in um that's that make sense yeah absolutely so so i think that uh and pope benedict talks about this in in one of his books um god is near us and he just kind of takes takes because because i think that uh, and we can get to this later probably is the um those who get stuck on like we have to always do mass in latin it's like well mass wasn't always done in latin it's still not always done in latin even in those places where you know the you know the, the other rites like they've always been in those languages mm-hmm. um but so when you you switch to latin uh again it's it's not the language everybody speaks probably Lots of people knew some of it, and you know, if they couldn't read and write it, they they knew some Latin. Um, but you know, just like you find in Africa and places like you have your tribal. I was talking to a guy from Africa just recently, and he and his wife are from different tribes, so they speak different languages. Hmm. So in the home, they speak English, which is neither of their first language, but it's the common language. And uh, I think his country was um, one of the countries colonized by, by the English. And so, okay, we have English as a common language. Not everybody speaks English. Um, and we didn't grow up speaking English. But I think that's a, a probably a pretty fair parallel. Sure. You know? But then as, as uh, I, I think there are many times where, you know, the church is like, well, do we, do we switch now that, now that, uh, Germanic is a solid language. Now that English is a, a solid language and is written, and you have these, you, you have academia growing in these things: French, um, Spanish, Portuguese. Why don't we? Why don't we have separate languages? And that that was a, a serious consideration. Pope Benedict says. 
because because of the, the necessity of the unity of the faith, it would be a dangerous thing to um, to now have uh, you guys do you guys do mass in your language and we'll do the liturgy in our language and we'll do the liturgy in our language. And uh, the fear was, because this was, uh, this is a, something we, we quite, quite don't understand in, in America, I think in the same way that there would be these, these national identities that would be um, uh, just made synonymous with faith. You know, kind of like when you hear maybe somebody say, I'm an Irish Catholic, I'm an Italian Catholic. It's like, well, what that means is you're not Catholic anymore, but you're Irish and your your family has always been. You know, it's like we we cling to national identities more than our our faith identity. And and that's what the the church was trying to um, to to stay away from. So I think probably about the time when they were thinking like, hey, we could open this up to um, the vernacular. Mm. Well then reformation. And we've already sure. discussed that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, I, I think too, um, you know, so like I, I read recently, uh, St. Teresa of Avila. Do you know her? Yep. Okay. So Spanish mystic, um, doctor of the church. And, and she said, this is 1500s. So after the, after the Reformation, 1500s, and the Inquisition is going. And so one of the things the Inquisition was doing was, was just this, like, hey, anything that's going to deviate from the faith, let's just avoid it. We, we're trying to be extra cautious, maybe overly cautious. And so there was a bunch of books that were just banned because the translations were faulty. And maybe, like, you can read this in, you can read this in, in, um, in Latin, you just can't read it in Spanish. And she said she was disappointed because her Latin wasn't good enough to, to read those books that she wanted to read. It's like in the Spanish, they're really, really good and helpful for her. But in the Latin, they, they weren't. But she said that even still, she gained great profit from reading the Song of Songs in Latin. So, so, so there's this way in which uh, the Lord was able to speak to her through these words that she was barely comprehending um, and and still use them to uh, just transform her her heart and for her to commune with God hmm. yeah I mean it's like whoa yeah that's that's really interesting it's obviously again cannot not coming from the latin tradition at all it's something very foreign to me to right. even like think about that i could read something not really understand it maybe kind of understand it a little but that it would still have such an impact on me spiritually is some, something really intriguing yeah and you know i think so i think we're uh, we're getting close to the end of this podcast so let's let's wrap this up and then let's continue um, we'll continue this conversation on the next in the next episode um, because I think there I think there's more there uh, like just talking about the the language of the heart and how we can sometimes get overly invested in I need to understand this and uh, what what level does the Lord actually operate on um, does he operate primarily on understanding. Or does he operate primarily on the level of love in the heart? So, let's uh, we'll wrap up there, and we'll we'll see you at the on the next on the next episode. Sounds good. Thanks, Father.